Hey, welcome to the Real Life Youth Podcast, where we believe in being more like Jesus. My name is Pastor Tate Stevens, and I am the student pastor here at Life Church. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless. Let's go. How are you guys doing? I'm sitting at a table today because, you know, kind of fitting for the series called The Christmas Table, and I did leg day yesterday, and they hurt. So I'm going to sit down, if that's cool. Cool? All right, awesome. All right, now everybody say the Christmas table. All right, so by the way, thank you to Catherine Wooten. We have some cool stickers up there. I put a donation in for Speed the Light. So if you guys wanna grab some stickers, they're awesome. They're sweet looking. I'm gonna grab a few because they're, I like stickers. As you can tell, I got Pokemon stickers all over the place on this thing. And I got Snorlax deadlifting. All right, so we're going to start a series called The Christmas Table. It's going to get a little weird at the end of it because I'm probably just going to like cut it because there's really no good way to cut this series off because it's supposed to be meant for just like one message continuously, but I split it into two. So I might at one point just be like, okay, now we're done. I'll do a little bit better than that. So what would you guys say? So if you guys invite friends over, where is like the center of the household? Where would you guys guess the center of the household is? Living room, dining room, kitchen. The center of the house would be the the center of the house. Absolutely. Which would probably be somewhere between your kitchen and the living room, right? So technically the center of the house, what we say is where people are going to gather should be the dinner table. But as we know, as the years are going on, that is not happening much anymore. Really crazy fact is actually dinner used to be nine or you guys call it dinner here, right? I might slip up and say supper because we call it supper in the Midwest, but supper. Dinner. <laughs> so dinner used to be 90 minutes. It was like a 90 minute thing that families would gather on the dinner table and it would be 20 or 90 minutes. Can you take a wild guess of what it is today? If anything, 15, 20, 10, Isla. Five, oh, you're doing five minutes. Three, three minutes. Well, how fast are you eating your food? No family time. A week. Yeah, that's probably true too. <laughs> so no, the average time to eat dinner around the table now is 12 to 17 minutes. So, so somebody was really close. So it is 12 to 17 minutes on average. Honestly, one of the things that we were never the greatest, uh, when we first had kids, we weren't the greatest eating around the table. We'd eat in the living room, we'd watch TV, but we've really made it a focus in the last about five years that we're really trying to just gather around the table. Not only do we eat dinner, I always ask the kids like, hey, how was your day at school? Like, what was something fun that you learned today? What did you hate today? Is what I used to always, sometimes is what I ask them. But I also do a devotional with the kids as well. Because some crazy statistics is, did you know that the more time that we spend at the table together, kids actually get better grades in school? Did you, sounds like a lie you said so, because you'll, you'll fail anyway. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding, Neil. He's like, oh, I get straight A's anyway. Um, did you know that obesity is lower if you eat dinner at the table together? Well, that doesn't affect your grades. That's like comma and obesity. It's like you get better grades and comma or comma and that has nothing to do. That's not even proper grammar probably, but yes, big people can get good people. I'm not going to call them fat. I'll say big people can get good grades too. I'm just saying obesity tends to be lower. That took a turn south that was not supposed to go there. Um, yeah, and so there's just a lot of under, other benefits of eating at the dinner table. So can you guys take a guess of when we look at the Christmas story, it's about family, right? So what would, what would you say the definition of Christmas is of like, we know it's about Jesus dying on the cross or Jesus was born, all that kind of stuff. But what would you say it is when it comes to us here in the home? Like what is Christmas about? Family time, presents, hanging out with family, dinner, 
like, what would you say for us in our household? What would you say Christmas is about? We know Jesus was born, but what's like, what's like another big thing for Christmas that we do? Family time. Yeah, absolutely. The one I'm going to give you is it's God inviting you into the family. And I'm actually going to go through a Christmas story that is not your typical Christmas story. It's going to be about somebody you might have heard of or you might not heard of. Um, but we're going to go to 2 Samuel. So what do I say? If you have your phone, you have what? Bible. You have your Bible. Yes. If you have your phone, you have your Bible. Open to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Say 2 Samuel. Say chapter 9. Okay, so verse 1, it says that one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. When we read through 2 Samuel, there's going to be three characters in the Bible that we're going to talk about. This could be Saul, David, and Jonathan. Now say Jonathan. I'm not talking Johnny back there. Is your real name Jonathan? Okay, so I'm not talking about Johnny back there, but it's Saul, David, and Jonathan. And Saul was the first king of Israel. Now say Israel. Okay, this might get a little confusing. So Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan has a best friend named David. So you got three. So you got, you got Saul, who's uh, the father of Jonathan, who Jonathan has a best friend named David. Does that make sense? Okay, but here's a crazy thing. So when we look at Saul, who's the first king of Israel, he has a son Jonathan, but God says, I'm going to make David his best friend, the next king. Ooh, some jealousy there. Hmm? Would you, th- would you, would you get jealous? Would you, if you, if you were Jonathan, would you be jealous? No, I would be, I'd be jealous. So basically David or God is like, I'm going to give favor to David and David is going to become the next king of Israel. Now you can imagine Saul was not very happy because do you guys know what a dynasty is? not our duck dynasty. Yeah. Big beards. No, like a dynasty of like, you know, you have a king and then he wants his son to be king. And that guy wants his son to be king. And then that next guy wants his son to be king. There's a dynasty that is built there. Right. And that is what Saul wants. Saul wants Jonathan to be king, but God actually takes away from Saul to give to David because some of the things that Saul was doing. But as we know, as we're going to look at this is that dynasty is not going to go as planned of what David or of what uh, Saul was thinking. So God starts to prepare, prepare David. And I'll say David through some life experience. And do you guys remember the story of David and Goliath? Would you say that he was a pretty cool guy that like literally defeated a giant with a slingshot? So when you look at that, when we look at that whole story, nobody wanted to face this giant, right? But David's like, I will. And he defeats him. So what happens is he gets a high seat in Saul's army. So as he does this, Saul becomes more jealous because he's supposed to be the next king. He defeats the giant and the jealousy and the anger is just continuing to grow from there. Saul starts to think in his mind, how can I get rid of David, right? But how many of you know this, that you can't stop God's plan? Like you can try. You can try to stop God's plan, but it's not going to work. It will be 100% negative every time. Every single time you try to stop God's plan, it is not going to work. Either way, it's going to work in some shape or form. Say God's plan. So what does Saul do? He's like, I'm going to murder this dude. This is where, to me, I kind of laugh. It gets funny. Not because he wants to murder him. But he says, Saul, okay, 
He's like, I'm going to kill this dude. I'm going to kill David. I'm going to send him into battle. I'm going to put him in the front lines so that he gets murdered. David <laughs> defeated Goliath. He sends him into battle and he defeats every single troop that Saul was wanting him to kill or wanting them to kill David. But here's the best part. On top of this all, Saul is angry that David's going to be the next king, wants him killed. And then David does him one better and marries his daughter. So he's like, you know, dude, like, I know you don't like me. I know you're trying to murder me, but hey, I, I see your daughter over there. I'm going to marry her. And he marries his daughter. So now on top of it all, David becomes Saul's son-in-law. Would you say like that? I mean, that's kind of funny. I mean, I sorry, I look at that and I'm like, God, you got a sense of humor, dude. Like I would have been like laughing if I was John. I would have been like, oh, that's a good one, dude. Like you married my sister. Like that's pretty cool. Um, because here's the thing. Jonathan and David are best friends. And that's something when we read through this context is Jonathan and David are best friends. Jonathan is the son of Saul. I have to keep saying it so I get it straight in my own head too. So Saul, you know, as he's starting to get blinded by all of this rage, now he's really mad. He's like, dude, you just like, I meant to kill you. I meant you to die. And then you married my daughter. And then now he says, you know what? You know how I'm going to make Jonathan king? I'm going to murder Jonathan. Does that make sense? He wants his own son dead so that his own son can become king, right? Okay, so here's the thing. And I actually put this on a slide. Slide. Sin makes you stupid. It does. Sin makes you stupid. You don't start thinking straight. You don't start thinking in the right mind or the right context. Uh, you have King Saul who's like, I want Jonathan murdered so he can become king. That makes no sense, right? That makes no sense. Sin makes you stupid. Say stupid. You have Jonathan and David, and they're talking, and they're like conversing. They're having some conversation. They're exchanging some friendly words. And Jonathan says to David, you know, please take care of my family when you become king. Because then here's the other flip side to it. Saul, he wants his son to become king so bad, but Jonathan's like, I don't care. He's like, yeah, let's have David be king, and God has his favor. So that even makes Saul even, that's just like adding fuel to the fire, right? It's just like, dude, like really? Like all of this stuff is adding up to just, just really make Saul mad. Jonathan, though, you can tell Jonathan is starting to sense something as you're reading through the scripture here. And I'm going to read a lot in a second here. Um, you can tell that Jonathan is starting to sense something. And he says to David, when you become king, please take care of my family. And David's like, what do you mean, bro? Like, no, you will take care of your family. And he says, no, when you become king, please take care of my family. Now, this might start sounding familiar is David starts to understand that, oh, Saul really does want me dead. So David ends up fleeing for 10 years. That's a long time. My daughter is like eight years old. I'm like, man, I can't believe she's already eight years old. He fled for 10 years. Can anybody in here tell me what books or what book of the Bible that David wrote? Psalms. Yes. So David wrote the book of Psalms in some of his darkest times, actually. 10 years on the run, he's writing this. And that's actually one of the biggest books you're going to read in the Bible, actually, which is kind of crazy. But remember, but he writes all this, he's in a dark moment, he's in these caves. And it's kind of crazy to think about that some of the best things can come out of the darkest moments in your life, right? So you have David, who's probably in a very dark moment. If I, it was me, I'd probably be very depressed, very stressed out, all of that stuff, because I'm like, I'm trying to be murdered, I'm living in a cave, and then he writes the book of Psalms, like, that's pretty incredible. Like, really incredible, actually. So it's, it's good to know that some of the best things can come out of your darkest days. And what I mean by that is you might go through some dark things in your life that you can really use as a testimony. Keep that in mind. 
So we have all of this, and we're going to continue in 2 Samuel. And I want you to remember in verse 1, so Saul, uh, or so uh, David promises Jonathan, yes, I am going to take care of your family. And we go to verses 2 through 6. Say 2 through 6. It says that he summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am Ziba, replied. The king then asked, is anyone alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was, can you guys pronounce that name? His name was, I call him Phoebe, Mephibosheth. Look at you, girl. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. That's, that's a really hard name to say, actually. So yes, it is Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. So when he came to David, uh, he bowed low to the ground in the deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Something to notice, just point out just really quick before I quit go into reading the rest of this is Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son, who means that Saul is Mephibosheth's grandfather. So his grandpa's Saul. So Mephibosheth is like, yeah, my grandpa's Saul, King Saul. Does that make sense? Oh, my dad is Jonathan. Okay, cool. So now we're going to quick go through verses 6 through 13. I'm going to go through this fast, so bear with me. Um, it says that, uh, Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. So don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. So at this time, David is king. So Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Jude referred himself to a dead dog. Um, yeah. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Then it goes on to say that Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Why? I have no idea. But Ziba replied, yes, my lord king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and regularly ate at the king's table. Yeah, I read that fast intentionally because I don't got much time left. So as we're looking at this, you look at King David, who is now king, and he says, hey, Mephibosheth, you have a seat at my table, right? He's like, I'm going to take care of your family. And this is the crazy thing that we need to look at. When we looked at those verses, it's, what does this really have to do with the Christmas story? You know, we talk about the Christmas table, all of this stuff. You're probably going to hear more about that in part two of the series, but I'm just kind of giving you a lot of the backstory right now. So I hope that makes sense. Um, but there is something that we need to understand when we're reading the scripture, and I'm going to explain why, is you and I are Mephibosheth. Not literally. We're not literally Mephibosheth. It's not like, oh, we're all Mephibosheth, like DNA from Mephibosheth. No. But uh, how we are and how Mephibosheth is, is we are Mephibosheth. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I'm, what I mean by that is, number one, is life didn't go according to plan. Life didn't go according to plan to Mephibosheth, and I'll kind of explain that here in a second. So growing up, I wanted to be an NBA player. Well, I'm a little vertically challenged, so that would have been really hard. 
I wanted to be an NFL player. Nope, never was an NFL player. And then I was like, oh, I want to be a basketball and a football coach. Then it's like, oh, you got to be a teacher. And I'm like, <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to be a teacher because I don't like school. I hate school. I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of us have dreams to be maybe doctors, astronauts, scientists, archaeologists, whatever that may look like. But you'll realize when you get older that God is going to have a different plan in your life. I never thought, like I've told you guys before, that I'd ever be a pastor. Never in my life have I thought I would ever be a pastor. So how do you adapt when life doesn't go according to plan? So how do we adapt when life doesn't go according to plan? And that's actually exactly what happens with Mephibosheth. So think about this. When Mephibosheth was five years old, Saul, King Saul, and his dad, Jonathan, were both killed on the same day. Can you imagine losing one of your parents and your grandfather or grandparent the same day? Because what ended up happening is King Saul and Jonathan went into battle and they died. You see what I mean? When Jonathan looks at uh, King David or now King David, and he's like, hey, take care of my family. He knew something was going to go about to go down. It doesn't say that directly in here, but you can kind of read the uh, read between the lines is he knew something was going to go down. So Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth loses his grandparent and his dad at five years old. Now you can imagine he wakes up one day, uh, all cuddled into his own bed. He's probably got like a fire going. I don't know. I'm just dreaming about this. I'm just kind of planting a picture for you. I don't know. Maybe he's got a table with like a bear rug or something like that, that, you know, like his dad murdered or something, you know, and made it, I'm going off subject. But anyways, so can you imagine he goes to bed, all comfortable, wakes up and there's a new king in the palace. Now, typically back then when there was a new king in the palace, what did the king do? He murdered everybody. Or he, may, he drove you out. It is really what they did back then. It's just, it was the way of life. If there was a new king, all the servants were gone. If there was any remaining royalty, you were dead. It's just, it's just how the time was back in the Roman area. It, it was pretty brutal, to be honest. But they don't realize who they're dealing with is King David. So King David becomes king, and then there's a panic in the palace. So what ends up happening is um, they all start to flee. There's a panic which rightfully so, I would be like, I would have just left everything and just sprinted as fast as I could out of that palace because I would have thought, yes, I'm going to be murdered or jailed or, or driven out of the palace. So when he's five years old, you know, he's having to flee his own palace. Now, remember the dynasty we talked about earlier is that dynasty didn't go according to plan because King David, just like God favored him in, made him the king of Israel. And I'm almost done here, guys. So we look at point number two. So we did point number one. Point number one was life didn't go according to plan for Mephibosheth. He woke up. He had no royalty left in that household or in that palace. Number two is people that Mephibosheth trusted let him down. And I'm going to explain why that people let him down. Is okay, so they wake up in the palace, right? And there's a panic that's going on. Well, actually, I'll just read it to you real quick in 2 Samuel 4.4. Say 2 Samuel 4.4. Why I turn to it. Second Samuel 4, 4. Okay. So in here real quick, it says that Saul's son, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Je Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse, so when they say the child's nurse, that basically means um, his caretaker. So Mephibosheth's caretaker uh, heard the news. She picked him up and she fled. And as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. So he actually was not crippled at five years old until the maidservant or until his servant dropped him. Now, I don't know if that's because she was just like, I got to get out of here, peace, and like threw him. It doesn't, it's not clear on what that says. Uh, she could have just been running and she tripped over something and fell. I mean, I have no idea. 
No idea. Because if you, okay, think about this just really, really quick. She has no steak left, like not little food steak, like a ribeye. She has no, um, she has no place in that palace anymore. So I like to think, and may, this might be a wrong, I don't know, I might get to heaven and, and she stares at me one day, is like, you was talking about me and that's not what happened. And I'm like, oh, my bad. But what I think happened is she is probably thinking like, yeah, why am I taking care of this guy? I have nothing left in this palace. Whoop, <laughs> threw him and took off. No, we don't know if that's actually what happened. I could be completely wrong. I'm spinning my own narrative here. But anyways, so basically though, you have Mephibosheth who is trusting her, trusting to get her out of the palace and she drops him and he becomes a crippled, uh, becomes a crippled. Now there's a lot of areas you can see that, you know, I would be let down in that moment as well in my life as well. But even though we've had people let us down in our life, I say we're like Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth Phoebe. We're like Phoebe <laughs> because sometimes we have people in our life that let us down, right? But we also let people down too. So we can sit here and say like, oh, they let me down. They let me down. They let me down. But how many of us have been sitting here who have made plans with somebody and we bail on them because we're too lazy? I've done it. So we have also let people down. Or maybe you were supposed to be there to be a ride for somebody. Or maybe you were supposed to be there for somebody who you were supposed to introduce somebody to somebody else and you failed and you didn't show up and things got awkward. We've also let people down at some point in our life, whether we've realized it or not. Now, and there's scripture to back that up because we're human. I'm gonna read one more scripture verse to you and it's Romans 3.23 and we are done. So Romans 3.23 says that for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So we all fall short of the glory of God. So we are not perfect, right? Everybody in here has sinned. And if you say, no, I've never sinned, you're lying, you're sinning right there. Every single one of us on this earth has sinned. Only Jesus was perfect. So Romans 3.23 tells us that. So by reading that verse, that can explain why we've hurt people. Our people have hurt us because we're not perfect. We, we fail, we fail during things in life. And oftentimes we tend to beat ourselves up over it. Would you say that like when you have let somebody down and somebody expresses to you like, man, I was really looking forward to this. I was really looking forward to having some, you know, whether it's quality time. I don't know if you guys use that word, quality time with you guys. And then they were really disappointed that you didn't show up. Does that make you feel bad? Absolutely. Just like when my daughter is like super pumped to like play board games with me. And then I forget that she wants to play board games. And then I'm talking to her in at night and she's like, dad, we never played sorry together. And I'm like, oh, I feel terrible. I do. I let her down in that moment because we didn't cheat and sorry and let her win. Or even play at all. But what we often contend to do is we often hold grudges because how somebody has wronged us. You've heard that word a lot of me say that a lot is uh, holding a grudge. And I'm going to encourage you guys is look at forgiveness instead of holding a grudge onto somebody. Man, don't hold grudges. Don't do that. Look for forgiveness. Talk it through with that person. Instead of judging somebody and, and holding that grudge being like, you wronged me, talk to them about it. Talk through it. Because if you have some of those friends of like, oh, they said this about me in school or they did this, you guys go right to the source. That is the number one tip thing of something I can give you is if you hear somebody that is bad mouthing you, if you hear somebody that is talking behind your back, please go right to them and ask them about it politely. Don't start up and be like, you know, sticking your chest out and like run into them and like getting ready to throw some fist or anything. No, say, hey, I heard you said this about me. Can we talk about this? And majority of the time you should be able to get it solved. If they're like, yeah, I said that, punch up. No, I'm kidding, don't punch up, don't do that. I'm just kidding, don't do that. 
but seriously, talk it through with them. If they say, yeah, I did say that, figure out a way to talk it through. So next week, what we're actually going to talk through, because I'm going to be done now. Next week, what we are actually going to talk through is what happens between King David and Mephibosheth when Mephibosheth is at the table with King David and what that means to Mephibosheth. Does that sound good? Father, we just thank you for this time that we get together today. Uh, and Lord, just, uh, I just want to thank the students that are here tonight for allowing me to... Hey, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. I hope this message spoke to you. And if it did speak to you, you can reach out to us at lifechurchutah.com or any of our social media platforms, and we'd love to connect with you. God bless and have a great rest of the day.